Hey, Bridge of Hope, I want to welcome and introduce Bishop and Pastor Jim Bolin. He's been a friend and a mentor for many, many years to Holly and I. Incredible success in ministry. Started a church called Trinity Chapel out of his home, I guess over 30 years ago now with 25 people or less. It grew to over 5,000. It is still reaching hundreds and thousands of people in the Atlanta area and Powder Springs in particular. Uh, the new name of the church is Seven Springs. It's unbelievable the things that God has done through him. He's a consultant that literally goes around the world helping denominations and churches. He is filled with wisdom and leadership and charisma. He has been so helpful to Holly and I through the years. So many times we've made phone calls and God would just give him the answer. It, it was It's just like God was speaking right to us. Uh, he's a dear friend and a wonderful mentor. You're in for a real treat this week and next week. So if you would, I would like for you to welcome Bishop Pastor Jim Bowling. Dallas, amen. Well, it's good to see you folks, amen. On Sunday afternoon, who'd have thunked it? You know, here we are. Such is the journey during Corona. I'm telling you, it's been crazy, hasn't it? I don't know about you guys, but we have had our share of setbacks there at home and and um, navigated through family members having to experience and, and go through um, the virus, and so I know. Uh, why some of us are maybe a little more precautionary than others, and I respect that. But it's good to see you today. It's good to see Pastor up there. I know you miss him. I miss him. I love him. Every time he's just, I just want to wrap my arms around him, hug him. You know, he's just just that kind of guy. He and he and Holly are just wonderful people. I love them. I've known them for a number of years, and uh, of course they were part of um, part of helping, well, working with us during a, a series of events for about two years that we did there at home church there at Seven Springs. It was called Renewal at the Springs. And we would bring in groups of pastors from around the country and 20 to 30 couples each month. And they would come and stay with us from Sunday to Wednesday, actually go home on Thursday. And we paid their way, paid all their expenses if they flew. We paid, their, paid for their airfare and took care of the hotel, all their food, all their transportation. We wanted to make sure that for four or five days, we just loved on pastors and let them know how much we appreciate them and speak some words of life and help and hope into them. Just encourage them and give them a safe place. Like I told them, I said, the altar's here. You can fall apart here at the feet of Jesus and nobody's going to say anything or think anything or even ask you any questions. You just tell God everything you need to tell them. And when you get up from there, uh, you got a group of folk here that's going to love you and support you. Well, Dallas and Holly would come over and would help us do that uh, from time to time. There'd be a support there, one of our support pastors that kind of pray with some of these guys and help me out. So I love them. Thank God for them. And now you know why. Every now and then you'll hear me slip up and call him Pastor Doug. The reason I call him Pastor Doug every now and then is because I knew Doug Combs probably before I knew Dallas Howard. In fact, I came up here when uh, Church on Fire was launched back in the uh, late 90s. And uh, actually, I came across the street in that little shopping center over there. A uh, little storefront is where they started at. And I came in there on, on numerous Sundays over a course of six months to a year and, 
our church did some things that we could do to help support them and help them. And, and lo and behold, here they are now and doing great and, and awesome. And I talked to Pastor Doug uh, yesterday and uh, I'm just excited about what God's doing for them and so thankful for them opening up their church to you guys and doing what they're doing. They're good people and I think you need to give them a big hand right now. Amen. But I really honor your pastor. I thank God for Pastor Dallas and Holly. And if any of you have any problems with them on sabbatical, blame it on me. Uh, I was the one that got behind them. Uh, I've seen too many burned out pastors. I've seen too many pastors weary and tired and, and running, trying to operate at high capacity on maybe half tank at best, tired, worn out mentally. And there's nothing like getting away for a series of weeks and just refreshing yourself. Number one, just resting your body, resting your mind. And then secondly, reconnecting for God, with God, but not for a sermon. It's a big difference. You know, as pastors, we, we go from Sunday to Sunday, and in between, we're praying, and God help us, help us, because we got this thing we have to do every Sunday, come up with a fresh word, because, you know, I know it's not any of you, but some of the others that aren't here today, um, they would tend to, well, I, I've heard better preaching than that before, you know, things like that. And we're always measured and always being, you know, looked at that way. And it's a lot of pressure. And then you're trying to handle the cares of the church and love people and hold things together. And before long, you know, it's been a year or two or three or four or five or six or seven, you know, before you've had any kind of meaningful break. Maybe you've taken a short vacation of a week or so, but you've not really gotten away for an extended time to let your bodies replenish. Now, I think if God can rest after seven days' work, I think we can. I think if, if God built into the, into the um, agricultural system of the world that even in Israel, you know, that seventh year, you've got you to let the land rest. And on that 49th and 50th year, you didn't do either thing. You, God just blessed in that 48th year, so the 49th and the 50th year, you didn't do anything to the land, just let it rest. So if God built that into nature and built that into our own bodies because we're created in his likeness in those seventh day he rested, if God needed that, and it wasn't so much that God needed rest because he was tired, but it was God was establishing a principle for us that we need to rest and we need, we need time to replenish. And as pastors, you know, you go and you go and you go and you, you begin to have this, this thought in your mind that, well, that they just, not that you feel like you're better than or you're super duper whooper whopper, but you just begin to kind of feel like they just can't make it if I'm not there. It's just something's not going to go right and all that kind of stuff. So it's good for the pastor to get away and find out you guys are absolutely okay. You know, you're not going to fall apart. The church is not going to fall apart. You know, everybody's not going to run away and leave everything. You know, he's going to come back. He's going to be a great crowd, and people are going to be excited to see him. He's going to be refreshed, and you're going to be excited to have him back after, you, after you've had to put up with me and some other guys, and you know, good to have your pastor back home. So it's a win-win, it's a but it also sets a model for each of you in this, in this ministry that you need time away too. And I encourage the church every year at home I would say, you know, it's summertime, and traditionally, uh, we take, you take, we take, we all take vacations. Take your vacation. Make sure you take time off, and you can stay home and watch us. If you can't go off anywhere, tell them to watch us online. But rest. Enjoy your family. Do something fun. 
it's nothing more than going to the park with a picnic basket. I remember so many years early on, when, man, we didn't have nothing. And I'd pass, I'd pass out phone books, literally put phone books at everybody's driveway. Me and my wife and my son, who was now the senior pastor at Seven Springs, he'd be in the back seat, and we'd put phone books out in driveways. And we'd make enough money to go take a little vacation. And we did that for three years in a row. We were excited about doing it. And, and Jason and I, we still talk about the times of working together so we could have a little break. So thank you for making that possible for Pastor. Thank you for loving him. Thank you for defending he and Sister Holly and loving them and celebrating what they're doing because they need to know that you guys are with them and you're praying for them. And make it a matter of prayer every day for them. You don't know what God might say to them, what, might, what God might show him. Uh, any number of things can happen. On some of, them of, the, of, the, of the sabbatical, there was a book that came out of one of my sabbaticals. I was there, and on the second and third week, something began to move inside of me, and it was my second book that I wrote called The Rope of Hope. And I wrote that because I'd experienced a heart, a heart problem and, and just a lot of issues going on in my life, and I had to take some time off to kind of reconnect with God. And while I was doing that, that's when that book came out, came, came out of me. God began to talk to me about the power of hope and the purpose of hope. So a lot of great things can happen in your pastor during this time. But the single greatest thing that can happen above all is that he and God just have some time to sit down without the pressures and necessarily the cares of the church and just let him talk to the Father like, that's my daddy and I'm his child and he loves me. I'm not here to perform. I'm not here to petition. I'm just here to talk to my daddy. Amen. That's a powerful thing to be a great blessing. Thank you, Pastor Dale. You and Thelma just have been great hosts. They've taken care of me. Uh, they've made me feel like I was somebody, and I appreciate that so much. You're blessed to have a great team of, of people around your pastor and got to meet with some of them this morning and had a wonderful time talking to them and uh, sharing with them, and I'll be with you again next week, so hopefully I won't do too bad, and you want to come back and maybe ask somebody to come with you. Amen? That's good. How many of you have felt um, a little bit victimized in all this stuff that's going on? I don't know about you, but I felt like, you know, because we're not even back in church yet. You know, we, we, still, don't, we, we, we still can't gather together. Um, the larger your church gets, the more difficult it is for it to, to gather together. And the greater the density of the population of your community, the harder it is. We're, we're one of the five metro counties, and we got over a million people that live in our county. And we're right there in, in the uh, literally connected to downtown Atlanta. And uh, it's difficult. And we have a lot of folk of color in our church, which I'm so thankful for. And for some particular reason, they have, they've seemed to be under a greater attack and susceptibility to the virus. And so we've tried to be mindful of all of that. We've already set two dates to come back, and the pandemic, would just, it would bump up, and it would just do things, and we just felt it best. We don't want to put anybody to un unnecessary harm, so we'd pull back. Still praying, still online. God's blessing. God's taking care. Church is holding together. But nothing replaces coming together. And... So we're, we're set to come back again, I trust that you pray with us and agree with us, that the Sunday after Labor Day uh, will be our first Sunday together together 
uh, as a church family. And our church is large enough that we can socially distance from each other, six feet apart, rows per family. And we seat about right at 4,000 in our sanctuary, so we can get about 1,000 people in there very comfortably. And so we'll see how many services, how many comes. I don't know. We'll see. may just be a few hundred, but whatever it is, we'll take it. We'll shout. We'll have a big time and enjoy being back together. So y'all pray for us because it's been, it's been hard. It's been, it's been a difficult, difficult road. And I've spent so much time over the last uh, several months trying to encourage pastors and help pastors because there is a sense of victimization now that's hitting the church. Uh, we're feeling like we're being um, victimized, hit on unnecessarily. Like things, the, maybe, maybe the government seems to be working against us. I don't think they are, but it feels that way because the rules and the regulations, and it makes us feel like we're just cramped and they're not wanting us to come back. I could go on and on. But have you ever been a victim before? Has anything ever happened to you that you didn't ask for? As a child, I was victimized. So, I mean, I, I, can, I can look back at that. Thank God that's way in the past. It doesn't bother me. I don't think about it anymore. But there was a season in time early on in my life where it, it troubled me, and I had to work through that. We, we've, we've all have been experienced victimization at some point. Maybe you were in school and you were bullied. Or maybe you were the runt in the family and your older siblings, you know, pushed you around and beat you up. And so I don't know, but we, we, we've all felt some, in some form or fashion we have felt victimized. And right now, there's a lot in the church, a lot of the pastors and, you know, the folk I'm talking about is, that's one of the words that they're using right now. They just feel like we've been victimized, taken advantage of, and we're being pushed around. And it's like, you know, we're, they're, they're, they're trying to prevent us from doing what we're called to do. And it's just this mentality that's trying to creep in. And then there is the victimization where you feel like you've been victimized, so you just give up. It's like, why try? You know, because it doesn't work if you try to do anything. It's like it's just thrown back in your face. And so all of that. Well, in the Bible, we're going to talk about victim and victor this morning. And you and I must choose whether we're going to live our lives with a mindset of the victimized or whether we're going to be victors. And we choose. Now, we can't choose what happens to us. We can't choose what's being said about us always. And we can't even choose about what's being done to us. But we can choose how we respond to it. We choose how we're going to think about it. We choose how we're going to use it or let it affect us or not affect us. It's our choice. And we got to learn how to shift from the victim mentality into the victor's mentality so that we see opposition and obstacles and hardships and setbacks not as a way for us to quit and to give up and to be demoralized, but rather for us to be energized. That if the enemy is trying to do this to me, trying to do this to us to stop us, he must hate me a whole lot. And if he hates me that much, then I know God loves me all the more. And i got to have a right attitude. got to get a right mindset toward it. I'm going to talk to you about that this morning. We're going to look at two portions of Scripture. And I probably am not going to read them for the sake of time. But I'm going to tell you the story. Out of Numbers chapter 13, if you have your Bibles and you want to look there real quick, and you can kind of go along with it, and you can see as, as I kind of paraphrase it and tell you the story, in, in Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 through 33. Israel had left Egypt. God had released them and set them free. And now they had crossed over the Red Sea, and now they're on their way to the Promised Land. They, they were a 21-day journey at the most, 
And some say as little as little as little as 11-day journey away from away from Egypt into the Promised Land, where there was a million and a half to three and a half, four million people, depending on how many people it was. There was a variation of time there. But let's say let's let, let's split the difference and say two weeks, 14 days. They could have left Egypt and been in the Promised Land. They had come to. Near, not, not all the way there, but they had come within a mile to two miles of the Jordan River. And God said, Moses, I want you to send some spies over there and spy the land out. Let them bring back a report so the people can hear what the land looks like. So Moses did as God said, got, 12, got a leader out of each tribe, all about the age of 40, and sent them over there. And they went over and spied the land. And they came back with a report. That's what you, The report is what you read there in verses 27 through 33. And the report is simply this. Man, that is one good-looking place. I mean, everything that God said to you, Moses, is exactly that. I mean, this place, this, this place is gorgeous. I've never seen such vegetation. I've never seen, so, it's just, it's beautiful. I mean, it's more than the eye can behold. In fact, the fruit over there is incredible. The produce, everything, it's just, in fact, we brought back a sample. And, and you probably have seen this if you've looked at some of the drawings of Caleb and Joshua bringing the grapes back from, and they, they got a pole between the two of them with this big cluster of grapes hanging down from it because it's too big just for one person to carry it by themselves. And they brought it back, hung between two, hung between the pole on their shoulder. Whether that happened or not, we don't know. But at least it gives you the symbolism of, of what they were trying to say when they came back. But there's a word in there, a little conjunction word, but. Say but. Have you ever had a but in your way? Now, I'm not trying to be cute. I'm just trying to be factual. Yeah, but. It could be but. If only but. It's what comes after that right there that either, in, in, in this case, says that it can't happen. There were 12 of them. Two of them came back with a positive report, that was Joshua and Caleb and the other ten, and, 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 and one of the spokesmen for the ten, in fact, jo Caleb, Joshua and Caleb said, Here, here's this land, it's, it's exactly like they say, it's awesome, it's great, and we're well able to go in and take the land right now. We can do this. But the ten, and the speaker of the ten said, look, there's giants over there. We've seen the sons of Anak over there. We've seen the fortified walls of the great cities over there. Yeah, the land is awesome, but the people are strong and the mighty, and, and there's no way that we can defeat them. And Caleb jumps up, and Joshua's standing there with him and says, yes, we can. But there's a statement in there that you'll read, and we'll talk about it in a few moments. But the, but the leader of the ten said, yeah, but we're like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we were in theirs. And the people's heart melted and they gave up. Have you ever had any, a naysayer in your life? Have you ever had anybody that's ever said to you, you know, you're just you, this and that, and, and all of a sudden you're excited about something, and it's like the air just goes out of the room and the air goes out of your life. That's exactly what happened right there to the people. Because the people in mass believed the report of the ten and did not believe the report of Joshua and Caleb. 
And the hearts of the people melted, and they said, we can't do it. And then now they felt victimized. Why have you brought us out here? Why didn't you just leave us alone? Why didn't you just let us stay over there in Egypt and let us eat onions and garlic? Now, who would want a diet of onions and garlic? But obviously they thought that was good. They, they just We could have stayed there and had it made, making brick and being beat up every day by the Egyptians. They were feeling victimized, taken advantage of, being worked, if you would, being monopolized by the powers to be, so to speak. And now here they are. Victimization is a problem in our society. We have a victimization mentality in our country right now. It's, and I'm not talking about any particular color, no, no particular gender. Listen, I, I've got people that if you look at them in the natural, they've got everything that you think anybody would need to be happy, but all they talk, they talk like a victimized person all the time. Everyone's against them. Everything works against them. It's, they have this mindset. In fact, I know it's not any of you, but there's some in your church that do that. There's a few. I know there's just probably some, but, but they're not here. But if they were here, I would say to them, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to live like that. The world's not against you. God's not against you. If God is for you, who in the world can stand against you? But we develop this victimized mindset, and it controls our thoughts, and it causes us to back up from, from possibilities, and, and we begin to feel like we can't make it. What is a victor? Real quick, a victor is a person who defeats an army or an opponent in a battle, game, or other competition. What is a victim? A victim is a person who has been attacked, injured, robbed, killed by someone else, a person who is cheated or fooled by someone else, someone or something that is harmed by an unpleasant event. If you're not mindful of improving yourself, you will become critical of those who do. I've watched it time and time again. Men and women who are trying to rise up from being put down and those around them who, who feel intimidated by that and who feel somewhat uh, pointed out because they're not trying to, they begin to criticize. Sometimes the greatest critic of someone trying to get up out of their mess is someone in a mess. They don't want them, yet you don't want them to get out of a mess because now it reveals your mess. And if they get out of a mess, then you won't be able to play the victim card anymore. Because now you can't blame it. They were on your side. We got to blame, but now they're, now they're getting better. Well, you, well, you criticize. Be careful. Because people who are trying to work through, and I, I'm, I believe, I'm not, I, I don't, God help me. I don't want to minimize a person who's been victimized. A woman who's been abused, been beaten. A child has been sexually molested. A particular group of people that's been marginalized because of their color or because of their social economic background or, for, or because of their country of, of origin. I'm not, I'm not here to put it. People are being victimized in our nation. They're being hurt unnecessarily. And we need to be mindful of that. We don't need to put our heads in the sand and ignore it. But at the end of the day, every man, every woman has to choose whether they are going to stay in and remain a part of a victimized mindset are determined, I may not have been able to have done anything about what happened to me because like I, like I had to learn to say, you know, I, it's not my fault. That was done to me. I didn't do it. It was done to me. Now, I and I alone have the choice. Am I going to continue to be a victim 
or am I going to learn how to come out of that and what the enemy meant to destroy my life and to marginalize my life and to keep me from coming into my destiny and purpose, or am I going to get back up and say, not, 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 no, not here, not now. I'm, I'm not going to live that way. Yes, it happened to me. Yes, it hurt. But in the name of Jesus, greater is he who's in me than he who's coming against me. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to make decisions that will make my life stronger and better. I'm going to choose to go forward. I'm going to change my thinking. I'm going to change my outlook, and I'm going to go straight ahead. And no one can do that for you but you. And you can tell if you have a problem with the victimized mindset if you say, yeah, but. And again, get it out of the way. Because as long as it's in your way, you can't move forward. So you need to change that. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Look at your other neighbor and say, he's talking to me. Our focus, listen to this, our focus de determines our future. And as our, and as our focus shifts, so does our experiences. Think about that. If, if our focus determines our future, how you see, see, listen, if you see a bad future coming for you, that's probably what you're going to get. Doesn't mean that I'm not talking about Pollyanna kind of stuff. I'm talking about I got to, I, I've got to begin to think positive. I got to begin to see the possibilities. I got to see what, what can happen. And if it doesn't work out, I'm not going to give up and quit and say, oh, bless me. I'm just, no, no. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to catch it again. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to learn from that. And I'm going to keep going. If you don't have a vision, if you aren't looking forward, you're going to back up. And I'm talking to everybody in this room. I don't care how young you are, how old you are, what situation, what station in life you are. You got to get over yourself, get over your Past, get over your setback and make a determination that I'm going to get up and I'm going to go forward and be everything God called me to be. Or at least I'm going to try and die doing it. But I refuse to stay where I am like I am. In fact, I tell the Lord all the time, if this is as good as I can get, I'm ticked off. Surely there's better than this in me. Come on, God, help me. Amen. There's better in you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, there's better in me. And there's better in you. Come on, let's, let's, let's believe that together. You know, how do we live in a victor mentality instead of a victim mentality? We're going to have to learn to do three things, and I'm going to go through these real quick with you. We must learn to see it, say it, and seize it. Say that with me. Say, see it, say it, seize it. Say it again. See it, say it, seize it. Israel was in Egypt for 400 years, and it took 40 years to get the Egypt out of them. Those 10 that came back and said it can't happen. That's why they went around the mountain for 40 years. God has to get some stuff out of you before you can move forward. So why don't you go ahead and help the Lord by surrendering and humbling yourself before him and saying, God, I need some help. I'm, I'm man enough, woman enough to admit I can't do this by myself. I've seen things wrong. I've handled myself in an incorrect way. But as of this day right here, I choose, and I pray some of you sitting in this room right now will make a choice that I am not going to continue to live my life the way that I've lived it. I know there's better. You can change your thinking. You can change your thinking. If you can change your thinking, you can change your life. Amen. Shift it. Look at it. Now, Joshua and Caleb. Now, let's, let's, let's shift the story. Go to the book of Joshua. That was the introduction. I'm going to get to the message now. How much time do I have? I got, I got 
They just keep putting more time on you. I got three hours and 49 minutes. Is that, is that three? Good. Praise God. I don't know who's keeping time back there, but Sarah, that's a great job. Awesome. Oh, that's the time. It's 3.49. Okay. I was, I'm slow, but I'll get there. Okay. Joshua and Caleb, 40 years later. You know the story. 40 years transpired. Israel now comes to the threshold of the, of the promised land, the Jordan River. God, God says, Josh, send out some spies. Go let them look at Jericho. They looked at Jericho, and you know the story there in the first part of, of Joshua. But now they have been fighting for five years. How many of you, you get to finally, finally you get to possess what you think is your promise, only to realize you got to fight five more years? Have you ever had that feeling? If we can just get a place, if we just get a piece of property, if we just get a building, Everything is going to be all right. No, it may just begin then. But it's our promise. God, pro Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes you have to fight for your promise. Sometimes you have to rise up and, and meet resistance because look at me real careful. The enemy does not back down because all of a sudden you shout victory and you get up and say, glory to God. We yeah, you finally have it, but he may just circle around and come at you another way. But he is not going to quit assaulting you. If you don't get tough in your thinking, if you don't make up in your heart and your mind that you are not backing up, you're not giving up, you're not quitting, you will back up, quit, and give up. You've got to get determined. This is a lifelong commitment. We are going to walk this walk of faith. We are going to fight the good fight of faith. We're going to press forward. And when the enemy comes, we will resist him. And when there's, when there's those moments where things are going positive and things are working out and we're growing and expanding, we're going to give God all the glory for it. But when the enemy comes in, our shout is going to go up. When the enemy comes in and tries to steal from us again, we're going to fight again. We're going to pick up the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith. And we're going to speak the word of God and we're not backing up we're not giving up ground we will not give up what God's given some of y'all got to fight for your family fight for your marriage fight for your grandbabies you got to that hell that's enough you got to fight for your health come on somebody Caleb comes to Joshua Joshua 14 he says, Josh, come here, we got to talk. Paraphrasing. I think it's verses um, 6 through 15, but I'm going to tell the story, but you can read it. So J Josh, you know Joshua, he comes over and says, Caleb, what's up, babe? Caleb said, man, look here. I want my mountain. And Josh says, what are you talking about? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You were there that day when God said, when God said, the mountain right there, Caleb, that's your mountain. You, that's, that's your inheritance right there. Joshua, for 40 years I wandered around that stinking desert with you. Five years we fought. And let's, in fact, Joshua, let me help you. Listen to me, Joshua, listen to this. For five years I fought. Five years I fought for everybody else to get their promise. When you are willing 
to take your promise, your vision, your dream, and you're willing to put it here on hold and fight for somebody else to get theirs, what you make happen for them, God's going to make happen for you. Amen. When you're able to take your vision and attach it to a vision bigger than yours, the vision bigger than yours will help your vision go where it's never gone and do what it could have never done. But our egos get in the way. We have this spirit of control, this Jezebel spirit that comes over us and we want to be the man and we want to be the, the lead. Instead of being willing to serve a vision so that what God's gifted you to do, you can do. And because the one vision that you're serving is bigger than yours, it will get you where your vision would have never taken you. Where your talent could have never got you by itself. But now it's helping you get farther than you, than you could have ever gone, do more than you could have ever done, and be a part of something greater than you could have ever been by yourself. Are you following me? Such is the vision of this, of this Bridge of Hope Church. God has given your pastor an incredible vision. And some of you have a great talent and ability, and you wonder, what am I doing here? What you're doing here is you're going to make this vision be, become reality. And in the process of making this vision become reality, God's going to fulfill yours. And that's exactly what Joshua was being told by Caleb. Caleb was telling him, I can do this. Say, see it. How do we do it? See it. Look at, look at verse 17. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea, to spy out the land, say spy out the land, see it, and brought back word to him as it was in my heart. I saw it, I spied the land out, saw the mountain, is in my heart. I saw it with the eye of faith. I saw it literally and I saw it by faith. I saw the mountain there, I saw what was in front of me. And I can, I can do this, Caleb was thinking. With God's help, I can. And I came back and I told him, when you see what God is saying, that's called vision. That's what a vision is. A vision is when you see what God says. God speaks to you. You've had this seemingly out of nowhere. All, all of a sudden, God's saying something. You're hearing something in your spirit. That's the voice of God. The devil's never going to tell you to do anything good. He's not going to tell you to help anybody. He's not going to tell you to sow into a situation so something can happen for them and to make somebody else's life better. No, he's going to tell you to grab it, slap it, and hold it for yourself. Can it? Sit on it. Don't let anybody have any of it. He'll appeal to your greed. He'll appeal to your lust. He'll appeal to your, you know, that side of you that wants to hoard everything to yourself. And all the while, if you'll be willing to release it and let God have it, God will do more with it than you could have ever done by holding it. In fact, you've got as much as you've got right now in your hand, but if you'll let loose what's in your hand, God can do more with it. But as long as you hold on to it, that's all you've got. Somebody's to be shouting right now. Say, see it. Come on, say, see it. You have to see it. The prophet Habakkuk in, in chapter 2, you know the verse there, verses 2 and 3. He said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he who may run, who, who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end of it it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. What God is saying, that this vision right here, come on everybody, look at me. How many of you feel like the vision's tarrying right now here? Come on, come on. I do. I'm not even here with you every week, but I talk to pastor enough to where, man, when's something going to break loose up there? Come on. When y'all going to find something? When, when's Dale going to find something? 
Come on, Dale. This, this, why is it, why is it being held up? Why is it tearing? Why is it waiting? But there's two different Terry's here. There's a Terry that waits, and there's a Terry that waits. There's a Terry that it appears that something is being held off. And then there is a Terry that is, is prayerfully and, and, under, and under control. You know, I know what's not happening, but I know my God is working on my behalf. While I'm here waiting, while I'm patient, while I'm being patient, while I'm waiting, while I'm being strengthened in the Lord, God's working on my behalf. While I'm worshiping him while I'm waiting, while I'm doing the work of ministry while I'm waiting, God's warring on my behalf. God's working on my behalf. It's not wait and worry, it's wait and trust and wait and see. He's not playing games with you. He's got something special. We just can't see it right now. And I prayed for a pastor. I said, God, just let him have a glimpse of something. Just let him see a stalk of corn or something. I don't know, something. See a, see a deer out in the field somewhere and say, oh, my God, that's it, or See a building with, I don't know, with a, a light on it that says, that's our building. Something. But God's up to something. Say, see it. So you see the promise. How many of you have ever seen something and when it finally came to pass, it didn't come to pass like you thought you saw it? Anybody besides me? How many of you have learned, that, like I've learned, that if I'd gotten what I thought I saw, the way I saw it, it wouldn't have been so good. But because God really saw what I saw, but saw what I needed, he took what I saw and he turned it into something better. Amen? Or how many of you have ever seen something and you started moving toward it only to realize that God wanted you over here? But you would have never gone there unless you first saw that. You're on a journey. Don't be afraid to see and to step out by faith. If that's it, God's going to bring it to you. But it may be just another step in the journey that's got to get you from where you're at so you can step out because from where you're at back here, you can't see what you need to see that's over there. He's taking you someplace. Come on, church. All this church. Come on, come on, come on, Bridge of Hope. He's taking us someplace. He's doing something right now. Step by step. But we're going to be patient. We're going to, although, the, although the vision tarry, although it seems to be waiting, I, I'm, I'm not going to be moved by that except to trust in the Lord and to know that he's going to take care of me. Say, see it. Come on, say, see it. People who live in a victim mentality can't, don't, won't see with the eyes of faith. They won't. If you're feeling victimized in this church, you can't see, won't see, or you just flat out, you, you can't, you won't, or you, or you don't, or you just won't see. You just won't do it. Because to see what God wants you to see means you have to change. Now I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're shouting right now. Amen. Because once you've seen something, you can't put it back in the box. Come on now. Ho! You, no, once you've experienced it, that's why I, I get tickled. Folks try to tell me that God doesn't heal anymore. I said, well, I don't know about you, but let me tell you about me. Let me help you remember. Let me tell you about when I, you come to the wrong guy to tell me God don't do this anymore because I have experienced it.
When you get a vision from God, you can't put it back in the box. It'll get in your sleep. It'll show up on TV. Some cat and dog running down the road to do something to make you think, that my God, there goes my vision. God will remind you. You've seen it. Now you can't back up now. Except if you don't want to, or you want to quit, or you want to give up. Because he's not going to force you to step into the promised land. He won't do it. Amen? i got to move along. Um, there's a lot of other things I'm going to say about seeing it. Oh, this one thing here. i got to go back and just touch on this real quick. Remember they said that we, we saw giants over there, and, and, and we were like grasshoppers. And I want you to notice the verse there, verse 33. That's, I want all of you to look at that. I think they have it on the, on, the, on the screen there for you. Look at that. There we saw the giants. Look at me. Say giants. You know what giants are? Obstacles. Illusions. Possibilities of what might happen, but haven't happened. Hasn't happened. But the enemy, how do you know that the enemy always magnifies your problems and reduces your vision of God? That's why the Lord said, magnify me. How do you make God bigger? Turn the thing around. You're making him smaller. Flip it around and magnify. See me bigger than. They said, there we see the giants. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. How you see yourself is how others are going to see you. That's why when you ever feel like you, you walk in a room and everybody just kind of like looks the other way, it's because you have these, this word called reject on the top right here. Oh, it's not, you, you can't, it's not written, but it's written. You know what I'm talking about. Somebody walks in a room, it's like, you just kind of like turn the other way. You don't really know why. You don't even know them. And then others walk in the room and you're like drawn to them. Some of us have got a, 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 a victim mentality, a spirit of rejection. Because you've been rejected or this didn't work out, you begin to assume that's who you are. Well, people aren't going to listen to me because I'm not this or I'm not that. I'm not built this way. I'm not tall enough. I'm not short enough. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm too big. I'm too little. I'm too white, not white enough. I'm too curly-headed, too straight-headed, too dark. I mean, there we go. We just get crazy with it. Do you know that I stuttered until I was 16 years old? I had a speech problem. And one night at it, it can't not camp anybody, a, a revival service in our church. They were praying and believing, and, and they were praying for folks to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And my dad turned to me and said, Son, I'm believing God to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And little did he know that while they were all praying and everybody's worshiping the Lord, I'm standing behind my father in an altar, and the heavenly language begins to flow out of me, and I begin to speak in another language I've never spoken in before, and it came out fluently and flawlessly. And from that moment till this, the stuttering thing left me. If I saw a word with a, with a B or an M, it would freak me out. I see a word with a tea because I couldn't I'm telling you I grew up with that I understand what it is to feel victimized to be made fun of and marginalized but I also know what it's like to overcome 
I also know what it's like to have a vision that you look in the natural. How in the world can this ever be? Because I'm like, I was like Moses. I'm not a man of good speech. But God said, don't worry about what you don't have right now. I want you to see what you do have. You have the power of the Spirit in you. And greater is that anointing in you than anything that will come against you. Change what you're looking at. Start seeing with the eyes of faith and see what God shows you. Say, see again. Come on, say, see again. Some of you seen, you need to see it again. You need to see it again. Number two, and I got, in fact, there's a statement here. You got to put this up on the screen. I love it. This is, this is one of mine. What you can't see, you can't achieve. I like that. If you don't see it, you can't do it. Have you ever been talking to somebody before and they're telling you something about something out there? And you say, oh, now I see. Now I understand. What do you think? That thing's 50 miles over here. What do you mean you see? Right here. That, that eye, that vision, your understanding. God's trying to speak to you today. He's trying to show you a better you. There is a better version of you in all of us. I can be better than this. There's more in me. I will die. Believing that, that there's more in me. I will never achieve all that I could achieve. God's put more capacity and capabilities in me than I'll ever be able to exhaust. But I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to run up the tab. Getting everything out of me with God's help that I can. And it begins with my vision. Secondly, i got to move quickly and say, say, say it. Verse 9, Joshua 14, 9 says, So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed after the Lord my God. Jesus taught us something in Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24 when he said these words. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For surely, surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have received them, and you will have them. Let me balance that, because some of us ask for stupid stuff. Anybody ever ask for stupid stuff? But the Bible says I can have whatever I say, and that's not really what it's saying. What it is saying is, if you read 1 John 5 and 14, this is the confidence that we have. That if we ask anything according to his will and purpose for our life, he will do it. What is the will and purpose for our life? How many of you got a Bible in your hand? Or on your phone? Or on your pad? That's God's will for you. Because it says that in that word, that's God's will for you. Amen. Now how he brings it about is his business. But I don't have to ask, God, if it be your will to heal me. Oh, no. Lord, I thank you. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. I come against this sickness attacking my body in Jesus' name. Amen? But you got to start speaking. you got to start declaring. And this was, this was Joshua. This was Caleb saying, I, that's my mountain. I want my mountain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take my mountain. God said it's mine. I, I've already seen it by faith. Now I'm declaring it. Your words are used to either create your future so... You better use them to build a better life. Simply this, the words you speak are creating your future right now. Well, I just don't know if it's ever going to get better. That's what you're going to have. 
I don't know if my wife's ever going to love me like I love her. She's not. I don't know if he's ever going to get up off that couch and put that remote control down and ever do anything. He's probably not. Why don't you start speaking over your spouse what God says about him? I thank you that I got a wife that is lovely. I can thank you that I, I tell my wife, baby, you are my Proverbs 31 woman. I've never seen anything like you. You do more in a day on accident than most women do in a week on purpose. You're the best thing, man, since sliced bread. Darling, you're better than honey. I love you. I look in your eyes, and my God, I just go crazy. When you kiss me, I don't, I, I'm like, I don't even know what to do with myself. I love my wife. I've told my kids all along, my son and my daughter were raised up by a dad that taught them whatever God puts in your heart to do. Bless God, you can do it. Yeah, they had setbacks. Yeah, they had bumps in the road. Yeah, they, they failed along the way. But they got back up. Because I kept speaking into their life. And you need to get in the mirror and you need to talk to you. And I have. Jim Bowler, let me tell you something right now. You are not going to act like that. That's not who is inside of you. And I'm telling you, you better shut your stinking mouth up talking that way. And you better start speaking the word. Because you can't argue with yourself in the mirror. <laughs> what you're saying is coming right back at you. Hitting you right between the eyes. See it, say it, start speaking, declaring your future. Because the power of life and death are in the tongue. You know that verse. And those who love it, which one do you love, life or death? Proverbs 18, 21. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And those who speak it will eat its fruit. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Which one? Which tree are you eating from? And how do I know what tree you're eating from? The fruit of your lips. I can hang around you about five minutes and figure out what side of the, of the fence you're on. Whether you're one that speaks positive and declares a good future and is an edifier and an encourager or if you're a constant complainer, a grumbler, complainer, victimized, victimized person, or whatever, it won't take me long. And I know where you're coming from like that. It, it won't be long. Because our words paint a picture of ourselves. And I close with this. Say, seize it. Okay, say, see it. Say it. Seize it. How do I get over a victimized and a victimization mentality and a mindset? You've got to see what God says about you. You've got to see the vision, see your promise, see what God says. You, you've, you've, got, you've, you've got to say it. It's not good enough just to see it. You've got to declare it out loud so people can know. And then comes the next part is the action part. You've got to seize it. Caleb, and I won't read it to you, but verses 9 through 13. Caleb said, I want it. I want my mountain. We are told in history that Caleb went up the mount that he was given to him as, as his inheritance. He defeated the tribe, the sons of Anak, who were in the mountain, that occupied the stronghold there, defeated them. If you go to the end, toward the end of the book of Joshua, I think it's in chapter 24, 25, along there. Sorry, I don't have it written down to tell you exactly where it is, but you can find it real easy. Where Joshua, and Caleb says it here, but Joshua says it with more certainty. He says that God has fulfilled and given you everything that he's promised you, and everyone is living in the land 
and there is no enemy that's been able to resist them. Whoever plays the instrument to help me close, help me do that because it takes me a while to close. So help me out. Everybody jumped up. Yeah, we're going to help him right now. <laughs> he needs to hiss it on up. Seize it. Look at me. The enemy's not just going to say, well, I guess because you saw it and you said it, and I, I guess I just got to get out of the way and let you have it. I can't. No, 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 no. Hell's going to fight you. Don't think it's just that this is a cakewalk. But you got to keep declaring the truth. You got to keep seeing the possibilities and declaring the truth. And all the while, possessing what God says is yours. Step by step, step by step, day by day, week by week, stay after it. You young folks around, you got a great life in front of you because COVID is changing this world. Look at me, everybody. Everything is having a reset button pushed. Businesses everywhere are starting all over. What better time for you to start something that's in your heart because everybody's starting over. There's no guarantee that shopping centers and all these things that we've built and we've done, that it's going to go back to how it was. We don't have that guarantee. There are companies that were prospering and growing six months ago that are not going to come out of this. Businesses that were owned by families, second, third generation, but have lost it all. Restaurants, totally, totally tooled with everything that you need, but they had to walk away from it. It's going to be opportunities all around us. But if you have a mindset, I'm a victim. It's never going to work for me. Now look at this pandemic. We've got a bug everywhere, and I can't do it. No, there's no better time. When all hell is breaking loose, there's no better time to stand up and say, I see what God is saying, and that is mine. And in the name of Jesus, before it didn't look like it could ever happen, but I see a possibility. I see a fulfillment around the corner. I'm going for it. This is the greatest time in the world for this church right here to reset itself. Because we're not going back to how it was. There's a lot of changes that's going to happen. It's going to take us a while to come out of this. And we can't sit around here wishing and hoping. It's time for us to draw ranks. I know we're supposed to socially distance, but figuratively speaking, let's draw ranks. Let's get close. Let's tighten up. Let's become a force that the enemy cannot stop. It's not your number, it's your faith. It's not your number, it's your faith. It's your confidence in your God. It's your seeing your mountain in front of you. No matter what you have to go through, God's made you a promise and he's not a man that he should lie. I'm going straight ahead. I know some of you have been hurt. You've, you've, you've tried many things I've said you've tried. And things have gone backwards for you. And you're saying, I hear you, preacher, but you just don't know what I've gone through. And I don't know what you've gone through. But I believe the Holy Spirit has sent me here today to tell you in this church, in this body of believers, your best is still in front of you. If you would dare to see again, I believe in this season that we're in, 
you can see a possibility in a way you've never seen it before. This church can see what it could never thought it could do, can be where it never thought it could be. But it's going to take some people of faith that are not going to give up. Yeah, we're having to drive an extra 10, 15, 20, some of you 30 miles to get here. Dear God in heaven, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But you know what? I refuse to give up on the dream. I refuse to back up from the promise. I've seen it. Like Joshua, I've seen it. I'm going to fight through opposition. I'm going to fight through setback because when God makes a promise, he's not a man that he lies. He's going to do it. I'm going to keep pressing forward. And then one day, this church is going to stand before its mountain. And one day, you're going to walk it up that mountain and everything that opposes you will fall before you because God has gone before you and the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. He will make happen what you thought could never be. Could never be. But it's not going to happen if you back up, back down. If you can't, you won't or you don't. It's not going to happen. But if you will dare to believe, see it, say it, seize it. Rise above the setbacks of your life. Rise above the setbacks of the church. The promise, the thing, it was we were so close, we thought we, but it didn't. God's got better. God's got better. That wasn't the right place. God's got better. I'm tarrying. While I'm tarrying, I'm, I'm declaring, Father, thank you. The vision's plain. We're going to be a great church. We're going to have great influence in Cincinnati. Lives are going to be changed. Homes are going to be mended. Bodies are going to be healed. We're going to keep pressing on. We're not going to give up. Stand to your feet. Thank you for giving me the extra minutes. I didn't ask you if I could have them. I, have them. I just took them. So I hope that's all right. Amen. How many of you are, are ready to see some changes in your life? Come on, be honest. How many of you know you've seen better than where you're at right now? Come on. How many of you have seen yourself better than you are right now? Amen. Here's what I'm going to do. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you feel that, I want you to come stand in this altar with me real quick. We're going to close this way. If you raise your hand and say, I see that there is better in me, there is better for this church, there's better for my family, there's, 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 there's more. You know, I thank God for what I have. I'm so thankful for what I, I got a beautiful home. God's been so good to me. But I'm one of those that I know there's more in me. Just come on down here. Get, well, I don't know if we're supposed to do this or not now that I've done it. Y'all just try to spread out. If I get in trouble, y'all got your, that's what I'm, just put your mask on till I pick them up. Amen. Amen. Raise your hands. You know why you're down here. You knew. You know what drew you down here. God says, son, daughter, husband, wife, grandma, grandpa, friend, minister, I'm not finished with you. There's still a mountain I want you to take. There's still a ministry that is yet to be birthed. There's still a life that's got to be changed, and you're the key to that changed life. Now is no time for you to quit. I want you to dare to see again the promise that God made you. Close your eyes, lift your hands, and see what God's promised you. Whatever it may be, it may be your business, it may be your family, it, it may be a part of your education. I don't know what God has showed you, but whatever it is, don't, don't over-spiritualize things. It's always about a preacher or about a building a building. It can be about whatever God has showed you that He wants you to do. It may be to start a business. 
but see it. And it may be something in your life that God says, I'm ready for you to be better than that. There's more in you. You don't have to settle for that. You don't have to continue to be that. Act that way. Talk that way. See that way. There's better in you. See what my word says about you and dare to believe it. That you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You are blessed coming in and going out. You're favored by God. See yourself as a child that's anointed by the Lord and God loves you with an everlasting love. See yourself as special in His eyes. Declare what God's Word says about you. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. For every man, for every woman, you know why they're here. You know what it is that you've shown them about themselves, about the dream, the vision concerning their life, their business, their ministry, their family, whatever it is, God, that drew them to this altar. But they're here right now. And in the name of Jesus, I ask you and I declare and I come in agreement with them that what they see, they will say it and declare it. I see my mountain and they're going to say what that is, that promise that is mine. And in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit is giving me a strategy on how to seize what God says is mine. And in the name of Jesus, I will refuse to be denied. I will not give up. I will not go back. If I get knocked down, I will get back up, but I will not quit. I will spend the rest of my life pursuing what God says is mine and who he says I am. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Give God a praise for that. Amen. Now, here's what I want to say to all of you that come forward. You came forward. God showed you something. Now, I want you to, sometime this afternoon, I want you to get by yourself. And I want you to say, God, what's my next step? Ask God, what's my next step? What do, what do I, don't, don't worry about somebody else, what they can or they can't do. You just ask God, what is my next step? What is the thing that you want to work on me this week to help begin either change or begin the process to change whatever it is but don't be stagnant don't just go home and forget about this and well you know it's pretty neat little saying the preacher had say it say it sees it that's pretty good and a day later you totally forgot it put this to work put this to practice for yourself for your family for your church put it to practice amen and you will overcome